0: Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. In February, we played a few episodes of New World Common, a wartime era program focusing on the experience of uh, black Americans. And we're going to revisit this program as they did an episode uh, examining uh, the title of which was The Meaning of V-E Day uh, to Negroes. And uh, the original air date was May the 20th of 1945. Let's go ahead and take a listen.
1: Weep and fury of the resurrection. There's a new world coming. Every Sunday at this hour, WMCA, in cooperation with the Citywide Citizens Committee on Harlem, brings you a series of vivid programs on Negro life based on the theme of Roy Otley's book, New World, Coming. Produced and directed by Mitchell Grayson. Today, we depart from our usual dramatization in order to present a special program, the meaning of V-E Day to Negroes. At WMCA's microphone today is Oliver Harrington, foreign correspondent of the Pittsburgh Courier, who returned a short time ago from a war assignment in the Mediterranean Theater of Operations. Mr. Harrington witnessed the Italian War at first hand and has reported for his newspaper the everyday life of Negro G.I.s at war. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Oliver Harrington.
2: A couple of weeks ago, when the war in Europe was formally over, and the Germans laid down their arms, and the shooting was over, and the ships at sea heading toward Europe turned around and steamed toward the Pacific, and the crowds on Broadway cheered themselves hoarse with the great news they just received, Negroes and communities throughout America took the news with mixed reactions. Happiness beamed from the faces of some, tears were in the eyes of some, but questions were in the minds of all. Questions which added up to, what does this victory in Europe mean to the Negro people in America? Here in the studio with me this afternoon are some of the most representative Negroes in New York who come from all branches of life. The mother of a soldier in the Pacific, a merchant marine, a judge, a Red Cross worker in the canteens of London, a labor leader, a civil service employee, all of them directly affected by the outcome of the war. You'll hear from these people in their own words what the war has meant and will mean to them when our final victory is achieved on VJ Day. The questions are unrehearsed. The answer's uncensored. With that in mind, I'm going to ask my good friend Candida Lee, the usual star of this program, to introduce the first person to come to the mic.
3: Thank you very much, Ollie. Our first guest this afternoon is John Velasco, a merchant seaman who's a member of the National Maritime Union. Mr. Velasco has been serving aboard merchant vessels as an able seaman since the beginning of the war. He was torpedoed once and is now training to become an officer in the Merchant Marine. Mr. Johnny Velasco.
2: Paul Johnny, how long have you been a merchant seaman?
4: Since January 1942.
2: Uh, what about this business of being torpedoed?
4: Well, we that happened in... October 42 when Hi. I returned from a trip it's been about eight months and we torpedoed down in the Caribbean one night just about midnight we lost five men we We're in a lifeboat for five and a half days
2: That was After kind this, of rugged wasn't it say look Johnny um how how many Negroes are there in the maritime union do you have any idea
4: Well, I don't know whether we can state that in exact figures or not, because uh, there are a great many Spanish-speaking people in the Merchant Marine also, Puerto Ricans, Cubans and whatnot. I don't know whether they would come under this. I see. Uh, What are the opportunities for Negroes to advance the Merchant Marine? Are they very good? Well, I would say that the opportunities are unlimited Mm -hmm. so far as the service is concerned.
2: There are three three...
4: Negro skippers now and several Negro officers, navigation and communications.
2: I see. Of course, everybody knows about Captain Mozak, and I wonder just about, uh, do you have any idea how many uh, Negroes there are in the academies who are working toward uh, ratings in the Merchant Marine? No, that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Johnny, what are your ideas about uh, what V-Day means to Negroes? Well,
4: I should say that Negroes shared the general feeling of exultation and thankfulness that the loss of life in Europe had finally come to an end. On the other hand, I would say that uh, there was a considerable amount of anxiety and even apprehension over just what the end of the war was going to mean to
2: the slight gains that we've made during the war period. I see. And, of course, the uh, National Maritime Union has had quite a lot to do with influencing your point of view. Um, Tell me, um, what about... uh, discrimination in the uh, the National Mar- Maritime Union. Is there any, as far as you know, any at all? Well, there is none in the Maritime Union
4: uh, from the point of view of uh, the Maritime Union's official policy, mm-hmm. and I trust that's what you're asking about.
2: Yes, of course, I think it's extremely important. Uh, I
4: wouldn't say that every member of the National Maritime Union was without any race prejudice, but uh, however, the official policy of the Union is no discrimination, and... Uh, I mean that's not only on paper. They they see that it happens in practice.
2: Thank you, John Velasco. You know, folks, this Tuesday, May twenty second, has been declared National Maritime Day by one of the greatest friends the Negro people ever had, the late President Franklin D. Roosevelt. In celebrating this day, we're proud to know the role that Negroes played in making sure that supplies reached our fighting men, not only in Europe, but also in the Pacific Theater of War.
3: Our next guest is a young lady who, before the war, was an actress in some of Broadway's successful plays. You might remember her as an ego girl in the play "You You Can't Take It With You, and, oh, many other plays. Well, shortly after the war, she joined the American Red Cross and served as a canteen hostess in London. She's back in the States now, doing another important war job with a government information agency. Mr. Harrington, and ladies and
2: gentlemen, Miss Ruth Attaway. Ruth, you must have known many thousands of Negro G.I.s in England. how did they get along with the average Britisher?
5: Well, for the most part, I would say they got along very well. I don't quite know what you mean by the average Britisher, but I suppose you mean just the plain working people. Yes, that's right. Um, I know that they, for the most part, seem to like our fellows very much, and uh, on many occasions I was uh, told by them, they asked me, um, they liked them better because they said they didn't (laughs) brag and boast so much about what they had over here in America, and they were much more polite than, to use their term, the white yank.
2: I understand that there were some attempts made to influence the civilian population in England against Negro GIs. Is that true? And if so, uh, what effect did that have on the people? Did you notice any change in their attitude at all?
5: No. On the contrary, I think in instances where uh, uh, certain people tried to do that, that um, that they found that the Britisher was more in sympathy uh, with the uh, colored G.I. That was tried... uh, by individuals, of course, um, mostly fellows from the South. I happen to know because I was stationed in a small village and at one time, and a number of the fellows who were white fellows who were in a unit there, most of them came from the South. I'm judging by their accents.
2: <clears throat> well, do you think that uh, Negro GIs returning home, especially those who left homes in the South, have developed an, op- uh, an optimistic and hopeful attitude toward the solution to the so-called race problem here at home in the post-war period?
5: Well, I I don't know. I think um, a lot of them were bitter. Um, but I, I do think they, they have a feeling, for the most part, that uh, something will have to be done over here.
2: Don't you think... I suppose
5: that... I could say that they do have a fairly optimistic attitude, Mm -hmm. but I do know that they are bitter to a certain extent. Yes, don't don't you think that the
2: bitterness has been tempered, too, by the fact that uh, in going overseas they found that this wasn't just a a matter of white people disliking black people and black people disliking white people? It was good to find that there Mm -hmm. were people who were sympathetic and friendly, willing to be friendly, don't you think?
5: Yes, I think that's
2: Mm -hmm. very true. Uh, Incidentally, uh, I understand uh, your husband, Alan Morrison, is overseas now. uh, Wasn't he with Stars and Stripes, the uh, Army publication?
5: Yes, he um, has been working on Stars and Stripes. I think he's the only Negro correspondent on Stars and Stripes. He's been with them for about a year now. Mm -hmm. He's
2: doing quite a job, I understand. Could you tell me anything about that?
5: Well, I know that um, he has covered most of the Negro combat units in uh, France.
2: Well, thanks a lot. Uh, I suppose we'll hear more about him sometime. I'm good friend of mine, too.
3: One of the most important leaders in the Negro community is the Honorable Hubert Delaney, judge of the Domestic Relations Court of New York City. Judge
2: Delaney. <laughs> judge Delaney, from your experience on the bench in the Domestic Relations Court, would you say that family life was affected by the war...
6: I would say that family life has been affected by the war because there have been so many homes broken up. It's rather difficult with the husband away for the wife to get along or for the children to get along without them.
2: What about crime, Judge? Has there been an increase, for instance, in juvenile delinquency during the war period? Yes, there has been some increase in delinquency due to broken up
6: homes, fathers being away, and to children not having the love and
2: attention of the father and mothers having to be out at work. Well, is there an answer to uh, these problems in in your mind? Yes, but
6: the answer doesn't lie necessarily in the end of the war. I think that one of the things that disturbs children and families more than anything else is the fact that in family life there's no equality really among children in relationship to their family, and as far as the grown-ups are concerned, there is really no equality among peoples. Uh, Everyone seeks to be accepted by his fellow man, and... I think the failure of human beings to accept other human beings on a basis of absolute equality is
2: a thing that is at the root of many of the evils of our social problem. Well, as one of the leaders of the Negro community, uh, what kind of world would you say that the Negro hopes for in the post-war era? I should say that the Negro hopes
6: for the sort of world where men who, as I should say, represent Uh, the malevolent industrialists of the South, uh, and who use race prejudice to divide both blacks and whites so that they may exploit both, uh, that that system will come to an end. I should say that Negroes want the world to learn from this war that Hitlerism is not a thing that Hitler had a monopoly on himself. It can be anywhere, and it can be here as well as in Germany. I should say that uh, Negroes hope that after this war that all men will treat their fellow men with equality and that they will accept their fellow man as equal and that he may have a dignity of spirit uh, with his fellow man. I should say that the Negro hopes that uh, in this post-war era that Americans particularly Will stop giving lip service to Christianity, stop giving lip service to democracy, and will make, will make democracy a real and living thing, not only in America but throughout the world for all people. Thank you.
3: Mr. Harrington, our next guest has been invited to appear today on New World of Coming, because he's the father of a young boy. 12 years of age. His name is Mr. Richard Kennard, and he's a civil service employee in the New York State Department of Mental Hygiene. And here he is, Mr.
2: Kennard. Dick, uh, you're in the New York State Department of Mental Hygiene. Would you explain just what your particular job is?
7: Well, as you know, the State Department of Mental Hygiene takes care of mentally ill and defectives. My job happens to be in the, administra- uh, the administrative end of the work. It is not at all technical insofar as psychiatry is concerned. I have to do with uh, money and uh, payments being made and uh, office practices and so forth.
2: In other words, if I sort of had a friend who was sort of in need of mental hygiene care, I'd send him down to you and you'd see that he got a check? As a layman, I would uh, advise
7: him what I thought he should do. However, I wouldn't see that he got a check. We take money. We don't give it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it turned to more serious things. You were invited to be on this program because you were the father of a 12-year-old son and because you had some ideas on the subject of making sure that your son would never have to offer up his life in any future wars. Is that right? That's right. Well, I believe
7: that uh, the man of tomorrow and the woman of tomorrow is being taught today to express himself in no uncertain terms, and to seek his rights. As a matter of fact, we hear a lot of hullabaloo about the boy in Holland today, and we hear questions about uh, problems. The boys and girls are trying to express themselves. They just don't know how.
2: Well, remembering your own childhood, would you say that your son's development has been different from yours? Do you think he's been very much affected by... War news and photographs and that sort of thing? Very definitely. As a matter of
7: fact, during the last war, I was approximately his age. And uh, I know that he's much more aware of what's going on today than I ever dared be at the the same age.
2: Oh, that's very good. How do you feel about his chances for a better life, and how are you preparing him for it?
7: I feel that his chances for a better life definitely depend upon our efforts to keep improving uh, the relationships between our groups and uh, to treat all others as individuals and not as a member of any specific group. Thank
2: you, Dick.
3: Last week, all of us celebrated two events, a day of prayer for victory in Europe and Mother's Day. This program would not be complete if we did not have an average GI's mother on it, a mother of an overseas GI. And so, we've invited Mrs. Gwendolyn Willis to WMCA's microphone to be interviewed by Oliver Harrington, war correspondent for the Pittsburgh Courier.
2: Well, Mrs. Willis, how long has your son been in the service?
8: Uh, a little over two years.
2: Well, that's a long time. What branch of the Army is he in, and where he's, is he stationed?
8: He's uh, in Quartermasters. He's been over in the Pacific for 18 months.
2: From the letters that you've gotten from him, has he taken part in any of the fighting?
8: Yes, actually, he's been slightly wounded in one of the campaigns.
2: Has he ever had a furlough home in the two not years yet. he's been in? No, not yet. Well, in the uh, letters that you get from him, I'm sure there must be very many interesting ones. Uh, do you think that uh, his attitudes are, are developing uh, pretty well? I mean, does he show that uh, he's uh, maturing in the army and that he's benefiting by any of the experiences he's had?
8: Oh yes, quite a bit, because he was just out of school when he was taken, and he didn't have very much experience. But I noticed from his letters that he is growing up quite a bit. And from his pictures that he sent me, he's quite a man now.
2: I see. What does he say in some of his letters? I see you have some letters there. Do you care to well, read some of them? Well,
8: yes, I received a. give you this one, part of this. This is answering the telegram that I see from Washington where he was wounded in Hollandia. He says, Dear Mama, so you heard about my little accident. I hope you wouldn't, as it wasn't so serious for me. Well, we made a landing that morning. After doing what we were supposed to do that day, we started up the beach to find a place to dig our holes for the night. We were doing pretty well, but a fire on the beach stopped us. We decided to camp right there and continue in the morning. Well, that was our mistake, as we were right near an ammunition dump. We started to go to sleep when, wa- when washing machine Charlie came over. That's the Jap plane.
2: Yeah, we had an Anzio Express.
8: Well, <laughs> Well, he dropped an egg. Although I always hated those clumsy GI shoes we had to wear, if it hadn't been for those shoes, things might have been worse. We were all pretty scared that night. You're right about this mess, darling, but don't be too optimistic about it. You never know what these monkeys that we're fighting for will do. We'll win, there's no doubt about it, but it will take some time yet. At least that's my belief. Course, I'm no general, and anything can happen. <laughs>
2: Is that another letter you have there? It's
8: about the post-war, his ideas about Oh, that's the fine. I think we'd like to know
2: about
8: that, yes. I've been thinking a lot of my post-war plans, darling. A lot of ideas have come into this dome of mine, and a lot of them have gone out. Probably by the time I hit home, I'll be decide on what I'm going to do. Got any suggestions? And I thought that uh, since he wrote me that letter about post-war plans, it got me to thinking and I thought probably I could give some ideas to the other mothers and the people about what we could do.
2: I'm sure about they'd be very boys. much interested in hearing your ideas, Mrs. Williams. And
8: I felt as though about the post-war plans of the boys when they come home, I'd like to speak about those boys, of course, all of them, but those who especially were fresh out of school and didn't have any experience forever as far as world experience was concerned, and still believe in their country wholeheartedly in spite of everything. We here must try to work hard so that their ambitions will not be lost and they will not be disillusioned. After all, these youths are our are, are hope for the future. A good suggestion would be to join an organization like the NAACP and others, whereby we could work in unison and be recognized.
3: Thank you
4: very much, Mr. Willis.
3: Our final guest is an important Negro leader of labor. He is Noel Walton we we'll let Mr. Walter tell his story in his own words, Mr. Harrington, Mr. Noah Walter.
2: Before this program went on the air, Mr. Walters, you told a little story to some of us here about a major who was fighting with General Patton's army in Europe. I think it was an awfully good story. I wonder if you'd mind telling that same story to our radio audience. Now
1: that story was told by Major Samuels, who just returned from Germany with General Patton's 3rd Army, Blood and Guts Patton. He was speaking at a bond rally, and uh, he made this statement. that over there where he just came back from, black boys, Jews, Catholics, and Protestants had given their blood and lives to win this victory. And there was no place in America from now on for discrimination against anyone because of race, creed, or color.
2: Thank you, Mr. Waters, for one of the greatest stories on this program, on this war.
3: Thank you, Oliver Harrington and Noah Walters. And now, to conclude our program, New World of Coming presents one of the most gifted young Canadian traltos who has won acclaim in recent months for two magnificent concerts at Town Hall, Miss Portia White, Miss White sings, Land of Hope and Glory.
1: Miss of white tune in again next Sunday at three past three for a new world of coming featured on today's program Oliver Harrington as interviewer of the Pittsburgh courier and Canada League this is America's leading independent station
0: welcome back this gives an interesting perspective on the end of the war one thing I like about it is that beyond the uh, racial composition it really gives us a chance to hear from some ordinary people as to what they expect and what they hope for the, world, for the post-war world. Some of those dreams would be realized, some not, but it's interesting just to get that picture. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, KenKerlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, GreatDetectives.net.